0: everyone welcome to the podcast this week i am sharing some tips and ideas that have helped me to improve my painting over the past few years and i have to say when i created the list of tips for this podcast it made me want to paint so bad <laughs> and i haven't been doing that much painting lately but i'm getting in there today and i hope that you do too
1: hello laura how are you going
0: I'm really good. I'm happy because today I am heading into my studio for a dedicated painting day and I haven't had one of those for quite a while. And we chatted a bit about why that was last week on the podcast, but I'm super happy to be getting back into a very active state of creating. I've had a look at my diary and for the next month, I am going to be focusing on painting. I've got an exhibition coming up in August, so I'm going to be spending a lot of time painting. So hallelujah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember one time you went into the studio and you, uh, as you were walking in, you said, I'm going to take my own advice. (laughs) And you went in, you had one of your most successful art sessions. Yes. Do you have a a plan laid out as to what you're going to do when you get in there?
0: A game plan? Yeah. Yeah, well, I've been thinking about what's been working well for me over the last a few months because I do feel like my painting has improved a lot and it does with practice and time and it's important to go back and look at your work and your process and think about what is working well And today on the podcast, I'm going to share with you a few of the things that I do or I have been doing, which have improved my art, improved my painting. And some of these are tips around process. Some of these are ideas about how you finish your paintings. I just want to share a few things that sometimes I think are obvious, but then when I'm chatting to people, I realize that when you're starting out, you don't have all the information. So I want to try and help people by looking back over the past few years and identifying some of the things that I realised that have made a big difference. So the first thing that I discovered is around your substrate. We often spend a lot of time thinking about our paints So I'm talking about painting today specifically. We talk about what kind of paints we're going to buy. Sometimes we don't give quite as much attention to the surface that we're painting on. And what I've found over time is that in many cases, your surface is actually even more important than your paint and this particularly relates to watercolour. Watercolour paper makes a huge difference. You can get away with cheaper brands of paint, but if you've got a good quality paper, the way the watercolour performs on the page is very different. So I will share now what I use because I know that's gonna be (laughs) a question that's gonna come up. The brand that I love to use is called Canson Heritage, and it's a cold press paper, and I always use something that's at least 300 gsm and that's the weight of the paper it means it's a heavy thick paper and when you put water on it it's not going to disintegrate or sort of warp and curl up having said that all papers do warp to a certain extent and there are things that you can do to help with that but the more the the higher quality paper that you have the less problems you're going to have with things like warping. Similarly, over time, I have changed my approach to what kind of canvases and wooden panels that I use. And I find that the canvases that have a few more coats of gesso on them, they have um, a better quality of canvas. They just feel magnificent when you're laying the paint down. There's this sort of way that the paint just sort of slides across the surface, which you cannot achieve with a cheaper canvas. I still practice on cheaper canvases. I still experiment and explore, but when I'm looking to kind of lift and elevate my work up a notch, so say if I'm working towards an exhibition, um, this is work that I'm definitely going to sell, then that's where I invest in a higher quality substrate. And I do find that it impacts on the end result and it's worthwhile.
1: So there's a psychological advantage as well as a physical one. (laughs)
0: Well, there can be, although sometimes because you've invested all this money, you can get a little bit, you know, a bit stressed, stressed about it
1: all. <laughs> I better not ruin it. Yeah. So I was going to say
0: that can kind of go both ways because there is a freedom that comes with using cheaper supplies. And I'm not saying don't do that because when you're experimenting like sketchbook pages, I mean, in one of my online classes, I encourage students to work on old book pages for that very reason, because it frees you up when you, you know, the piece of paper that you're working on only costs you 10 cents. Then you're not so worried about if you ruin it. So there is a time and a place for both approaches. But when I'm really trying to make art that looks professional and has that high quality finish. That's when I I try and see if I can stretch my budget and allow a little bit more money on the substrate side of things. Another thing that I have learned is that dirty paint water can make a mess of things and affect your colors. So what I tend to do, there's two things that I do. One is I use loads of brushes. So when I'm starting with a new colour, I'll pick up a new brush rather than continue using the old brush. So it's a way of keeping colours fresh. It's very annoying when I come to the end of the day though because I have, (laughs) you know, 50 brushes that I need to wash. But rather than, you know, using the same brush again and again, I do that. The other thing that I do is... I have several water containers. So when I come into my studio, I don't just fill up one tub. I fill up a few glass bottles or jars. And I then have a couple of big Tupperware containers, buckets that I feel. So I go in armed with <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm water. doing my best not to laugh. There's, there's water containers all over yeah, this house.
0: So I go in not just with one, don't go in with one little, you know, small water container. No, nope, that's no. That's not good enough. Go you big. need you need buckets. So. <laughs> And containers. And
1: speaking of buckets, you do have a huge um, Tupperware yeah, dish under yeah, yeah. your trolley. Yes. Like um, a huge thing of water. Yeah.
0: And I just toss brushes in there as I'm working. The reality is, I use both of these approaches. I have loads of brushes and loads of containers of water. And when you're using watercolour, having clean water helps a lot. So whenever I do a watercolor painting, I always set up two or three containers of water next to me and that makes it easier to keep the colors the way that you want them. Another technique that I've been using recently is to make use of having a frame around your art while you're working. And let me explain that when I work on paper pieces, I often use masking tape and When I say masking tape, it's not the masking tape that you just get from the newsagent. It is a purpose-made tape that I get from an art shop. I get it from Riot Art and Craft here in Australia. It's easy to remove from paper without it tearing and lifting the paper. What I find with that edge is it gives me some white space around a piece, which is similar to what would happen when you frame a piece of art. And by giving myself that little border, it helps the artwork kind of pop off the page and I can see it without noise around the edges. And this is something I haven't been doing for that long. This is fairly new for me in the last year or so that I've started to tape a lot more of my pieces because I'm finding that it helps me when I'm creating to have that little bit of a border.
1: I thought you only put the tape on so you could take it off.
0: I love taking it off. Come on, that's (laughs) true. Uh, But I also like the border. And that's one of the reasons that I use the tape from Rye Art and Craft, which is actually a a white colour. Painter's tape that you get from a hardware store is often a really bright blue or green and and that I find distracting. The white border I find helpful. Sometimes halfway through the painting, I take the border off, which is a little bit risky, but I like to see it it's I guess the form that it's going to have at the end because it helps it helps to have that frame around it another thing that I use is mat boards from old frames I take out the mat and I use that as a viewfinder when I'm working on pieces so I can check how it's going to look in a frame or if I'm working on a large piece I can take that mat around and have a look at different compositions that are forming in the large piece and sometimes I'll get my scissors out and cut that piece up because because I'm finding something that works better within the painting rather than using the painting in its entirety. So having that viewfinder is very helpful for finding compositions and even getting ideas for new paintings. So you might see something and go, oh, that would work well. And you could even do a little thumbnail sketch or take a photograph, and then you've got a compositional idea. The other thing that I do is when I paint on the wall, my wall is deliberately painted a bright white colour and we regularly repaint it because in a similar way that provides a frame that I can see the painting. So if I've got a large canvas on the wall and then I've got a nice white painted wall behind it, when I step back, I can see the painting and there is a noise and distraction around it. I also use a light-coloured tablecloth. Same reason, I'm giving myself a better opportunity of seeing the painting clearly.
1: So you could make yourself up a few boards, paint them white
0: and paint on them. Yeah, I do that too. I have painted up white boards. I'm always looking for that opportunity to bring some white space in so that I can get a better picture of what I'm creating. Another development in my art over the years has been to find a focus or a reference point and use that when I create. So when I first started painting, I did a lot of just painting whatever came to mind and going around in circles and deciding on something and then changing my mind and painting something else. And I'd end up painting about 20 paintings on one canvas, which is fun and you know it's a great way to explore, but I've started to hone in on an idea before I even put a paintbrush on the canvas. I have a just a concept and sometimes it's it's just a spark. It doesn't even necessarily play out that way once I start painting. I might have seen something when I've gone on a walk, you know, it might've been, it might be the shape of a tree. It could be a color palette. It could be something that I'm wearing. I, I often look at my, you know, when I'm stuck, I just look at my very immediate surroundings, which is often, you know, my, my clothing, uh, my home. Uh, I love um, ceramics. So I often look at you know, mugs and vases and things. And I just look around and see if there's something that can provide a, a reference or spark. And I use that to begin a process of abstraction.
1: If you're out on a walk or, you know, we go on a hike, like, do you mentally take a picture or do you do you get your phone out? Do you, like, how do you?
0: I do a bit of both. Some of it I do in a deliberate way where I take a photograph or I actually bring the reference item if I can, you know, whether that's a branch or a piece of something that I've picked up or a stone or I bring that in. And other times it's more from memory and it's almost like a feeling. So it's, it's a combination of the two things. I'm coming at it from somewhere and that I find helpful it guides me and it helps me to choose my colors and gives me ideas for mark making and and it just it brings ease into my process I'm not I don't feel as overwhelmed and I enjoy working that way. A big part of this is finding the process that you enjoy. So for many people, they love throwing paint at the canvas and working out, you know, things as they go. And if you love that, then that's what you do. But for me, I enjoy taking a little bit more of a purposeful approach. This kind of flows on from what I was talking about. So with setting intentions, another change in my art has been to work with less colors i've become more more of a fan of using a limited palette i love just choosing a handful of colors to start with and then seeing what i can mix and create from those colors and what i find by doing that so say you choose three to five colors and then you mix colors from those is that there's kind of a harmony that develops in your painting because you're bringing the colors through each other in a way, and that helps to create a color palette that just sings together. Sometimes I set myself a challenge and I try and stick with my initial intentions. And other times, you know, if I'm intuitively feeling like, oh, this would really need something that I hadn't planned, then I'll just bring it in. So um, I do allow that flexibility, Um, but I like to start with a color palette and I often pre-plan them. I do little swatches, I do little studies, I get to know those colours and then when I've got a colour palette that I love, it, it's part of the process for me and I enjoy working with it.
1: Your swatch selection is getting so big.
0: I know, my <laughs> studio, it's part of it is because I haven't been doing that much painting lately so I've just, I, I keep on doing a warm-up but that's all I do.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when I warm up I swatch and I create studies and things like that and lately that's as far as I've got so I've got piles of swatches and no
1: swatching today straight highlights. into the
0: art <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe it's a procrastination uh, technique
1: they just look so good
0: yeah I find them very inspiring mm. so you know when I uh, when I go into my studio it gives me the uh, ideas straight yeah. away the next tip is something that I do when I'm in the painting process. And what often happens for me and for many other painters is that when you're painting, you maybe start with contrast, but you continue adding in colours and, and things seem to get into the mid-values. And it gets to a point where this the painting feels just like there's nothing really grabbing you it's just kind of (laughs) I don't know how to describe it it's just like that middle stage where flat yeah flat kind of you know and usually the thing to do is just to boost the contrast all
1: these words are photography words (laughs) yeah
0: and you do it when you're editing a photo like how often does a photo just need that little bit of a
1: punch we punch yeah Mm -hmm.
0: up the contrast and it's the same with painting so when I'm looking at a painting and I'm just feeling that it's just not popping for me, it's, it needs something, I straight away go to contrast. And the first thing I look at is value contrast. So I look at how the light colors and the dark colors whether there's enough of a difference between the two and if there's not I go in and I make some dark colors darker or I bring in some light colors and that's how I push through that middle. I also look at contrast in other ways so it can be contrasting colors so if I'm working with greens I might feel like oh if I just brought in something like a little pop of red somewhere it's going to bring that painting alive Um, so I look at opposite colors. I I don't often work with kind like your pure green, pure red. So for me, that often translates to maybe a soft coral, peachy. That's my interpretation, but it still provides a contrast to a green, for example. Because often when you talk about using colour and contrast, many people jump to, okay, we're going to make a painting that's bright orange with the bright blue or something like that but it can be a lot more subtle if you want it to be
1: yeah the best editors Mm. rather than just grabbing the the contrast slider Mm. will use uh, highlights and shadows Mm. to build up the contrast there is an art a fine art in in developing contrast subtly
0: yeah i agree so and the same applies with with painting with highlights and shadows That's what we're doing too. Another way that I look at contrast is how can I bring in different textures because they create a contrast. So if you've got really smooth paint and then I'll often get out something like a Princeton Catalyst tool. So they make silicon painting tools that you can use to etch into your paint to create these nice little ridges and scratches and textures. And I'll do something like that because it provides a contrast in texture. Another thing I'll look at is the direction of the painting. And when I say that is, you know, I might have a lot of the painting, the strokes of the painting might be going say horizontally. And so I might look at how could I bring something that's got a bit more of a vertical pull in the painting. So I'm looking at, can I use a directional change or can I bring a line through the painting to draw the eye around? So I'm looking at different ways to kind of add more energy to the painting. I'm always looking at how can I do things differently but still create a cohesive feel? And one of the ways of doing that is mixing up the direction of your strokes or your marks. Let's talk a little bit about negative space in a painting. And you'll relate to this from photography. When I started painting, I didn't pay that much attention to the negative space. I was always looking at, oh, I'm gonna paint a tree or a branch and I'd put all my energy into that. And I wouldn't look at the outline and what was happening in the background. And over time, I've learned that the negative space is as important as the positive space. And so when I'm looking at a painting and I'm trying to resolve it, and if I'm not sure, another thing, another kind of go-to for me is to look at the negative space and how that is playing out on the canvas and whether those shapes and lines and things are interesting. And that can help me get out of a <laughs> tricky situation. Um, sometimes it's just changing a line just changing the shape of the negative space can help a painting um look better it's
1: almost a funnel to bring people's eye Mm. into the painting Mm. and if you use it incorrectly it can be it can have a disastrous effect you know but if you use it correctly it's like it's very very powerful they use it in cinema all the time when a character is talking to another character If they face into the negative space, they're engaging in the conversation and it's warm. If they're staring out of the negative space, it's disengaging, aggressive, and it has a menacing tone Mm. so yeah in cinema they use negative space to develop tone in a character
0: and that's very interesting and could be applied to to painting as well but it can affect the mood of your painting looking at the the negative space and, and even the quantity of negative space that you have you can create something very powerful with a lot of negative space it's just all that breathing room can can create mood. And so there's so many interesting things that you can do when you start looking at the negative areas as well as the positive areas. Because they have a, a subtle power. Just
1: now having this conversation <laughs> with you, I'm just realizing that when you work on board, yeah, you tend to have a lot of negative space. Yeah, I'm just thinking that now. Your yeah, nest series, yeah. the painting you did the other day, the photograph on Instagram with your shoes—loads
0: well, of negative yeah, space. I yeah. love it. It's it brings simplicity, and it. I love the way that I, I it highlights it. the art. It yeah. doesn't get lost in all the noise. So, so yeah, that's been a change for me. My paintings were a lot busier several years ago and more and more I'm, I'm using the negative space i'm looking at it i'm adjusting it it's as important as the other elements of the painting
1: now when you say negative space in a photograph mm-hmm. the negative space is something that you just don't touch you put your subject to the left to the right mm-hmm. to the top or to the bottom but your negative space will come through in a layer Yes. So your negative space is quite planned.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you can manipulate it and adjust it. And it is it is something that you touch and you can build it up through layering. So you could have a very busy layer, for example, with loads of mark making and energy and, and then you can come over the top for lack of a better word obliterated (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you could cover up 80 percent of what you had in that busy mark making layer and calm it down but then just leave some of the the energy poking through and, and that that can create a fantastic painting. Yeah, this is making me want to paint so bad.
1: Just straight in there. <laughs> Don't even finish the podcast. Why
0: are we even doing this podcast?
1: <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's podcast. Okay,
0: let's quickly get through the next.
1: <laughs> let's flow through this like glazing fluid.
0: <laughs> okay, you just had to say that, didn't yes, you? Because did. you wanted to lead me into the next, uh, the next one that I want want to share with you which is to get to know uh, mediums and how you can use those in your art. So it took me a long time to start playing with things like glazing fluid, moulding paste, um, fibre. I mean, I only just tried that the other day. I think it's called fibre gel. When I was talking to Andrea Sue's on the podcast, she was talking about cold wax and using that with oil paint. Uh, so that was a couple of episodes ago. These mediums can have a tremendous impact on what you can do with your paint and make your work a whole lot more interesting. So I encourage you to try them out and see what you can do and how you can push your work in exciting new directions. I particularly love using glazing fluid. It's one of my favorites. I use it all the time. And what glazing fluid does is you add it to acrylic paint. So I'm talking about acrylic paint at the moment. It creates a more transparent paint so you can see through it. Glazing fluid that I use is a gloss and so it brings a shine and a luminous quality to the paint. It extends the working time of the paint so it doesn't dry out as quickly and you can create layers and allow colours to shine through, which creates depth and more interesting colours. It's just nice.
1: Yeah, I keep going back to editing photographs and video. We use this technique, we use opacity to create contrast. So, yeah, you're, you're, you're just thinning it down a little to allow other stuff to come through.
0: And speaking of opacity, uh, I would encourage people to really get to know their paints as well. So, understand the qualities of different paints because some paints are very opaque. Titanium white is an opaque paint. Then you've got other paints that are more transparent. So you've got things like Thalo green, and you know they've got a transparent quality to them. The more you can understand that, the better you are able to use those paints in the way that you want to use them and you can learn how to make paints more opaque if you want them to be and you you can cover things up when you want to but you can leave things so that you know light can shine through if you want to so you're in control. You don't necessarily have to have all of your paints at the highest grade of artist quality but I do recommend having a good quality white paint and when i say white i mean titanium white it's what is generally used because it makes a big difference. A nice creamy white that has a good opacity is essential for when you are trying to mix colours that you want to cover an area with. So you want to build a nice background, you can mix the white paint in, it's going to give you um, a more opaque paint and it just has a, a nice consistency. You don't get as much of that sort of chalkiness that you can get with a cheaper paint. Having said that, one of the tips that I do give artists is not to use too much white paint unless that's the look you're going for unless you're really you know painting a white on white kind of effect but white paint when added to other colors does make them duller so it's something that you want to be a little bit careful with and using a quality white paint will help and now we're on to the last tip which is our favorite and the one that we just keep getting reminded of again and again, every time we frame something, we varnish it, we put a mat around it, we realise that presentation is everything.
1: It's so easy to forget and overlook and skimp on.
0: Only recently I was just blown away when I got out back from the framers yeah. at just how professional it looked. It's the same art. It's just treated the way it should be. Can
1: I ask <laughs> you an honest question? I mean, don't know if this'll go in or not. Yeah. But I'm gonna ask you a question and answer it anyway. Right? Yeah. When we when I dropped the art off to Elite Framing, um, he did us a great deal because yeah. A, he knows who you are and B, we were getting a lot of stuff framed. Yeah. And when the bill came true And you went to pay it. You rang me and you went, I don't know if I can justify this or not. I want you to remember that feeling you had when Mm. you were thinking that you couldn't justify it. And I want you to remember the feeling you had when I brought the work home. Was it worth it?
0: Absolutely. Can you justify it now? Yeah, it was worth it. But it's good that you've shared that because framing is expensive. It is an investment in your art. It's still something that I... Highly recommend that you do, not just because you want to make your work look more professional and and sell it, but because of that feeling, because of the confidence that it will give you. So even if you can only afford to get one piece professionally framed for yourself, you know, put it in your home, go and do it just so you can see how it looks when it's beautifully matted, custom frame made. And then you can go, wow. Wow. I made that and that's the coolest thing and that will do wonders for your art making. That will fuel your creative fire. So I highly recommend doing that. Not everyone can afford professional framing but that doesn't mean that you can't finish your work to a high standard. So I want to talk about a few of the things that I do to get my work looking better. So the first thing is varnishing. I have now got a I guess, multiple step process to the way that I varnish my work. Um, The first thing that I consider is that I use a mixed media Approach and I often have things like pastels that need to be fixed. So you can spray fixative on your work to fix those things in place. And some people stop there, and what that does is it sort of holds everything in place, but it doesn't actually give kind of a a finish as such. If you like that look, that's fine, but I love the look of something that has a little bit more of a polish to it. But I'm using a golden UV spray varnish at the moment. I do a couple of light coats of that and that makes sure that everything is really stuck in place and it does give it a bit of a gloss, but I want more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, really? Yes.
0: So once I've done that and everything is dry, I then add a coat of brush on Terps-based varnish. I use like a, a nice fine brush. I work quickly to apply a layer of brush on varnish, allow that to dry and then apply a second layer. So yeah, this whole process, it's worth blocking off a week and doing several paintings and just varnishing them all. By doing that, it gives my work a really nice uniform look. And for me, that's important because I use a mixed media approach. So I'm always throwing different things in and some of my paints are... I guess, more matte and some are glossy and then I use glazing fluid. So my surface is a bit mixed up at the end. And the way I fix that is just to varnish it. I put a gloss or a satin varnish on everything. And at the end, it all ties together and it looks cohesive. It it takes time to do it, but I love the result of it. It's worth it. I also paint my edges. I like the crisp look of a painted edge on a canvas so if I'm not going to frame or float frame a canvas I'll just paint the edges um, and make sure that they're nice and neat.
1: When we went to local crowd the other day to do the changeover you said something about wrapping colour.
0: Up until now I've just haven't painted the edges until the end and then I just choose a colour out of the painting often it's white and I'll just paint the edges white neaten it all up that way. But I love paintings where the colour actually extends around the edges so that it's like the continuation of the painting around the sides. And I haven't done that up until now but I'm thinking about doing that and actually having a, a continuation of the painting around the sides. With my paper pieces I don't have as lengthy a process for varnishing. For most of my pieces I use the golden spray varnish and I use that and that fixes everything in place. For some pieces, I don't varnish them at all. If it's just a straight up watercolor painting, I just frame that behind glass and I don't use a varnish at all. But with those paper pieces, once again, if you get them um, matted or put them into a frame, they are going to look so much better than what they look when you just flick through them on you know, as finished pieces.
1: Even an Ikea frame.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be a professional frame. You can get really lovely frames actually all over the place these days and places like Target office works ikea so you can take your frames that you get that you've bought off the shelf take them to a framers and get them to make a custom mat to fit those frames in your art and what they can do is they can make you something that's much more luxurious and thick and it will present a lot better Alright, that's it for now that's just a few of the things that have helped me over the past couple of years to improve my painting and now I'm going to switch off this microphone and get into my studio and put these tips into action